You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing on this beautiful, hot summer day? Wonderful. If you're a guest with us today, I'd just like to say welcome. My name's Dave Longstreth. I'm the outreach pastor here at Riverside. And if I hadn't had the chance to meet you yet, I want to just ask you if you wouldn't mind after the service today, just I'll be around the front here. Come introduce yourself. Would love to get to know you. Uh, For those of you who are listening by podcast, welcome also. And I want to invite you, if you have your smartphones today, take those out. If you have our Riverside Community Church app, you can pull that up. If you have a version Bible, you can pull that up, and you can find the notes to today's sermon. You can follow along. Just search for Riverside Community Church Oakmont, and you'll see our notes. So today we're finishing our final summer series called Shades. So close, you need, so close to God, you need sunglasses, right? I can't preach like this, so I'm going to take those off. If you're on Facebook or Twitter and you like these type of things, like hashtags, then we are using the hashtag ShadesRCC. So today... We're going to be talking about distractions, we're going to be talking about focus, we're going to talk about roads, blindness, destruction, redemption. Anybody excited? <laughs> okay, me too. Um, we've been talking, uh, talking a lot about bright encounters of the Bible. We talked about Moses, Elijah, even Jesus and his disciples. Today, uh, we are talking about uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, in his early days, he was known as Saul, and the encounter that he had with the risen, risen, with the risen Christ that left him blind, and uh, it disrupted the mission that he was on and exchanged it for God's mission. So, I just want to let you know that I always have the right of way, okay? And uh, I'm very excited about that. Carrie and I, when we're when we're out, she always likes to make fun of me because uh, I always have the right of way. When I'm the driver, I have the right of way, right? When I'm the pedestrian, I have the right of way. So no matter where it is, I have the right-of-way. It's just a joke that we have. That's not really how it is. I do let, once in a while, I'll be nice and let pedestrians go when I'm driving. But I like to know that uh, when I'm behind that steering wheel, that I'm driving and uh, I have the right-of-way. This is a joke, by the way. A lot of you judging me, right? I feel these daggers (laughs) coming up. It's just a joke. It's just to get get us started. I want to talk about someone who did think he had the right-of-way, and that was Saul. Saul had a bright encounter with Christ, and it changed everything for him. But before his encounter, he was on a road to destruction. So I want to set the stage for that first. We look to the book of Acts, which follows the, uh, the Gospels. And, and just before Acts, the book of Acts even begins, we know that Jesus came to earth. He had a ministry. He was uh, tried and uh, sentenced to death. He was crucified. He died on that cross. He was buried in that tomb. Three days later, he resurrected from the dead. He appeared to, uh, to his disciples and to others, and then he ascended into heaven. Okay, so everybody caught up with where we're at right now. Then, at the beginning of Acts, we have the early church, the believers. They were afraid, so they went into hiding. They gathered together. They, they, uh, they prayed together, and they waited for this promised Holy Spirit. And then the day of Pentecost come. And then the Holy Spirit came and filled them up with bold faith and they went out. They no longer hid. They preached the good news of Jesus Christ and his resurrection to all around them. And a movement started, which we know as the early church. And uh, the Bible refers to those first Christians as followers of the way. Now, Acts 4.2 says 
They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now what that's referring to is the leaders, the Pharisees, and other religious sects that are, that are now getting concerned because this movement that they tried to squelch when they crucified Jesus, it's now gaining some steam and there are a lot of followers of the way. Thousands of people believing this message and momentum for this movement increasing. So the people who held the power, they, they, they felt threatened and, and what happens when people who hold power feel threatened? They flex their muscles. So they warn Peter and John, and they, and they threaten them that they're going to be further punished if they continue to speak about this resurrected Jesus. But Peter and John replied by saying, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then in doing that, the movement grows even more. And then this movement spreads to Greek-speaking Jews. And there's leaders like Stephen. You heard of Stephen in the Bible? He was... He was martyred for his faith. He persuaded more people to believe in Jesus. So now something had to be done. So the authorities, they, they tap into this young and upcoming Pharisee to do what he could to squelch this movement before it got even further out of control. And the name of this young man was Saul. And so we see that when Stephen was stoned to death for teaching about Jesus, it was Saul who gave the nod to the executioners And it was Saul who subsequently led this effort to crush the church movement before it spread any further. So Acts chapter 8 says, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And he used force to do so. And the more that the... People in authority flex their muscles and use force. The more that these Christians would be scattered and they would proclaim this good news about the resurrected Jesus, it kind of had an opposite effect. And everywhere they went, people who had experienced the power of the Spirit of the resurrected Jesus told their stories and it kept growing and it kept growing, which infuriated Saul even more. So at this point, he goes to the religious authorities and he gets the warrants for arrest to go to the city of Damascus and start persecuting and arresting followers there in the city of Damascus. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9, which is where, where we're picking up in the story today. But Saul, he felt like he had the right of way, right? He felt like his way was the right way, no matter what. Whether he's a driver or a pedestrian, right? His way was right. He was on the road to destruction. He was power hungry. He was trying to prove himself to the religious mafia bosses, if you will, in Jerusalem. And they were using him to do their dirty work. And in so doing, he began to climb that ladder in their power structures. And Saul, the way he acted and the way he carried out his mission, he was like a terrorist because he terrorized believers in Jerusalem. And now he's on this road to cause more terror in the city of Damascus. And the more zealous that he grew, the more narrow-minded that he became. He became blind to what this God who he so zealously believed in and followed, he became blind to what God was actually doing because he was focused on the wrong thing. He had what I call intentional blindness. Anybody ever hear of intentional blindness? Well, I saw this video one time of intentional blindness and it it helped to illustrate it 
And in this video, they had a bunch of dancers, and they had these two circles of light on the stage where these dancers were. And we were given, as watchers of this video, to uh, watch the dancers. And this is on Brain Games, Netflix, by the way. Just a side, side note. You might, it's a great show. Okay? Um, so we got these dancers, and, they're, and we're supposed to count. They're, some of them were wearing red. Some of them were wearing purple. And we're supposed to count how many times those who were wearing purple stepped into those two circles of light. So then they play the song. The dancers are dancing. I'm counting. One, two. You know, I get up to like 23. And at the end of the video... They say, how did you do? Who counted less than 10? Who counted 10 to 20? Who counted over 20? Of course, I was over 20. Feeling very proud of myself. And then they said, how many of you saw the penguin that walked across the screen? And I was like, what? I see no penguin. So then they showed the video again. And there it is. It's penguin walking across the stage. And you never see it. It's right in front of you because you're focused on these dancers. And you're so narrow-mindedly focused on the task that was given that I missed the penguin. Oh, so that's an inintentional blindness. It occurs when you fail to see what is right in front of you, right there in plain sight, and your brain can't process the object because it's so focused on something else. And it affects many areas of our lives, doesn't it? We get so focused on something that everything around it just blurs out. And it becomes invisible even to us because of our narrow field of focus. You think of some dangerous instances. How about driving? Here's an illustration of, of a driver's uh, visual attention and the ability to see. That green arrow at the top, green slice at the top is the area of driver focus. And then at the bottom, that yellow area says visible in rear view mirrors. A couple sermon series ago, we talked about blind spots. That was one of our series. Well, you see those in red. And then in black or dark brown, it says difficult to look for. Those areas are right over here when you're driving. And you actually have to turn your head and look. And then a little slice of purple, typically irrelevant. And then inattentional blindness, those two yellow areas. Those are in your windshield. But you're so focused sometimes on what's right in front of you that you miss what's so obvious right here. And that can be very dangerous. So how many of us drove to church this morning? How many of us drove more than 10, 15 minutes to church? Anybody? Raise your hand nice and high so I can see you. Okay, look around. These people drove. Okay, now don't raise your hand. How many of you paid attention to the road the entire time that you drove here? You ever drive? This never happened to me, of course. But you ever driving down the street and you're fiddling around the radio and then you look up and wonder where the past two minutes went? Like I said, never happened to me. How many of you walked to church this morning? How many of you walked to church... Or you walk somewhere um, and maybe you're with somebody, certainly not yourself, and they're playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> How many of you are ever driving out there and you see somebody walking, playing Pokemon Go? Let me, let me show you what that looks like, okay? That's, that's playing Pokemon Go. Well, I, I say that. Because the other day, last week or two weeks ago, I was with Pastor Bill and we were driving downtown and we're driving through the strip <laughs> and there was this kid with his dad, okay, right out in the strip and uh, Pastor Bill's driving with him and that's just, that's another story for another time. <laughs> but he's driving down the street and uh, there's this kid and I see him, he's doing this, you know, he's playing Pokemon Go, he's doing something. And he's in front of his dad's a couple steps behind him. And he literally just walks right out in front of Pastor Bill as he's driving down the street. And Bill puts the brakes on, gives a little toot in his horn. 
And the kid looks up and his dad grabs him and yanks him back. And the two of us were cracking up because, I mean, come on. But he had inattentional blindness because he was so focused on what it is that he was doing that he failed to see there's a car barreling down the road at you. And uh, so that's what we call inattentional blindness. Of course, it never happened to any of us here. But you can spread that message uh, as an encouragement to others in your lives. Saul, he fell victim to inattentional blindness, just like so many people did back then. And people still do today, spiritually speaking. He was so narrowly focused that he missed the right path when it was there, right in front of him. He looked to his religious crowd. He looked to the leaders, the Pharisees, to find the path that he should take when the right path or the right gate, which was Jesus, was there right in front of him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. See, Saul was too narrow-minded and too focused on the wrong thing to see what may be wrong, that his way could be wrong. He couldn't see the possibility of the resurrection of Jesus. He could not see that Jesus was this narrow gate to enter God's kingdom. But sitting here today, we, we have the ability to see what Saul could not and did not see. We don't have to be blind to what he was missing. And there's another very valuable lesson that we can pull from this, and that is this. The wide road to destruction is crowded with narrow-minded people. The wide road to destruction is crowded with narrow-minded people. Picking up in Acts here, the story, Paul or Saul had just gone to the authorities and asked for the warrants to arrest these Christians in Damascus, and we pick it up here. He's on this road, and as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he responded, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Anybody know what kick against the goads mean? That's a weird word, isn't it? Well, there's this old Greek proverb that says, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And modern interpretation exchanges that to goads. And Christ uses this old Greek proverb to say that Saul was kicking against these goads. And I'm sure Saul had heard this old Greek proverb before, probably many times, and Jesus speaks to him in Aramaic. And he says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now this is a picture of a goad. It is a stick. It has this pointed piece of iron fastened to the end of it. It's an instrument that was used to prod the oxen on when they were plowing. And when a stubborn ox attempted to kick back against the goads, he would actually wound himself. And the proverb was used to teach this lesson that it's foolish to rebel against a powerful authority. And any attempt to do so would result in much greater difficulty. Anyone ever heard the saying, he goaded someone into doing something, okay? Well, what that basically means is this person prods someone into doing something. That's a goad. So kicking against that goad means that you're pushing back against the person who's doing the goading. 
All that to say this. A modern equivalent of what Jesus was getting at might be something like, Saul, you are trying to jump out of the frying pan and into the fire. The lesson is similar. When we try to avoid a minor irritation, we got to be careful not to find ourselves in deeper trouble. So Saul, not only resisting the teachings of Jesus and his belief in the resurrection, but he was going so far to persecute those who followed Christ. He was kicking against the goads. He was fighting against the man who would be the greatest authority on earth. And his resistance actually resulted in greater suffering. That demonstrated the lesson intended by this proverb. But God doesn't just encounter famous apostles such as Paul. He doesn't just encounter preachers or worship leaders, bishops or popes. God wants to encounter all who wander away from the true path, straying from the narrow gate, along with the hordes of people who are missing it for the lack of proper focus, for their inattentional spiritual blindness. Jesus spoke to these crowds using parables and teachings, telling the masses that he is like the good shepherd who finds that lost sheep and returns it to the flock. Now maybe in your life God has encountered you on a path of destruction sometime in your life. Maybe he has yet to encounter you. I have a question for you today, and that's this. Where is your focus? Are you missing out on God because of your narrow-mindedness? Are you missing out on God because your focus is on the wrong thing or because of disbelief? Or maybe our narrow-mindedness is a result of our rebelliousness, sort of like an excuse. I've been there, and I'll tell you about that in a couple minutes. But the point I'm trying to make is this. That God encounters us in our rebellion and that's often on paths that lead to destruction. And the problem is that we can't look to others for why it is the path that leads to destruction. So therefore the solution has to be that we have to allow God to reveal himself and blow our narrow minds wide open. And when he does this, it's called an aha moment. An aha moment is that moment when that little light bulb kind of gets over your head there and the little imaginary FedEx man delivers us a clue. Okay, Saul's bright encounter with Christ that struck him blind, that was his aha moment. He was blinded so that he could actually see. So he could see things differently than he had. Saul knew clearly what he wanted. He had hardcore focus. But he was inattentionally blind to the damage that he was causing and to the reality of the resurrected one. He didn't think that what he was doing was wrong. In fact, he thought it was the noble thing. And it wasn't until he was literally struck blind that he could truly see that his spiritual blindness was destroying not only him, but others. God had to intervene. God had to knock him down off his high horse. God had to mess up his plans and leave him in temporary ruins until he could change his focus to the right things. So here's a question. What will it take for Jesus to get your attention? He doesn't need to get my attention. He already has it, you might say. Or I'm already focused on the right things. But just humor me for a second. Let me push against this a little bit more. Let's practice a little exercise, just to put it to the test. Instead of us assuming that we're already rightly focused and on the right path, headed in the right direction, let's make the opposite assumption. 
let's assume, for test, let's assume that we've been focused on the wrong thing. Okay, let's make that assumption. Let's assume that we are blind to what God has been pointing out that's sitting there right in front of us. Let's shift our focus just to make sure that we aren't missing out on what God's best plan is for us, even when it seems like there's a good plan already in place that we've been focused on. As the saying goes, good is the enemy of great. And something that might seem good might be the enemy of what God's best is for us. Remember when I was talking about that video I watched with the dancers and the penguin that walked across the stage? When I was focused on the dancers, I missed the penguin. It wasn't until that was pointed out and I watched the video again that I could see the penguin walking in front. And that's how it is with our focus. When we are so narrow-mindedly focused on something, even if it's a good thing, we can miss out to what God is saying that might be better. Maybe we are sitting here today and we don't have to do that little test. We don't have to put our assumptions to this test. Maybe we're sitting here today, maybe we're listening by podcast, and we already know that we're on that broad road to destruction. Maybe we've picked up some bad habits and destructive behaviors along the way. But again, I would say that we're blinded to what's so obvious because if we're on this path and we know that path is a path that leads to destruction, this path that will actually destroy us, if we really believe this, I think that we would do whatever it took to get off that road to destruction and get onto Redemption Road. So I have to ask, have you had a Damascus Road experience in your life? Are you having one now? And I, I remember... I remember the first of a few Damascus, Damascus Road experiences in my life. And like I said, I've had a few, okay? Yeah. Hope, uh, I hope I'm alone in that. But I don't think I am. So I remember when God was really, he got my attention and he redirected my life in a major way. When I was in my later teens, uh, I went through that time that so many of us go through, that time called rebellion, right? I was, I was a rebel without a cause. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't know what I was rebelling against, but I was rebelling and don't let the man get you down, right? I, re- I rejected good morals. I rejected the idea of this God who loved me and had a plan for me. I even played the good church kid game, sitting in pews every Sunday, listening to messages. All the while, I moved out of my parents' house so that I could be free, Free to party, free to live, free to live it up, do whatever I wanted. Nobody could tell me different. But I was empty inside. I really was. And I knew it. And the more that I strayed away from God's best for me, the more that I rebelled, the emptier that I felt, and the more that I ended up drowning myself in addictions and vain pursuits. And I sat in church weekly with my friends, and I rejected the gospel. The good news of God's love and his plans for my life literally went in one ear and out the other. I don't know how it could happen, but it did. I used the hypocrisy of fellow churchgoers as my excuse. I used the church crowd as my focus, who they appeared no different than me, but they were, and I just didn't see it. So I rejected God. Message after message, stirring after stirring, whisper after whisper, but then one day it all changed. It was a Friday night in September of 96. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? (laughs) 
It was a Friday night in September 96, and I was taking one of my late night drives down the highway for an hour or so just to think and have some alone time. I did that quite often. And I guess like Saul, I was on a road, except I wasn't riding a donkey or a horse. I was driving my 1985 Chevy Camaro. (laughs) Yeah, you can see that now, can't you? Good times. I don't have a picture, sorry. Like Jesus said in the book of Matthew, I was spiritually, at that time in my life, I was driving on a highway to hell, on a road to destruction. And like Saul, I was met by a mysterious and powerful force. And I tell you, it was a mysterious and a powerful force. It hit me all at once. And in an instant, I heard God call me to serve him. Did you hear that? I heard him call me to serve him. Me, a rebel, this punk kid who for quite some time now was playing the church game and thumbing my nose at God. He called me to serve him. Are you kidding me, God? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I think about you and what I think about the church? Why would you ask me to serve you and to serve your people? And the weird thing is this, and I never would have guessed it. But he didn't ask me to, he didn't say, Dave, clean yourself up because I want you to serve me. He didn't say, Dave, get yourself right because I want you to go into ministry. He called me as I was to serve him. So my response wasn't immediately, yes, I'll do that. I'll take on the challenge. And it wasn't no either. My immediate response was I broke down in tears and I sobbed and I cried for a very long time on that drive. I remember it so vividly. And I remember saying something like this, not so eloquent, of course, but something like this. I am sorry, God. Will you please forgive me? Will you redeem this messed up life and make something out of it? And I couldn't believe that God would still love me enough to forgive me, let alone ask me not only to follow him, live for him, but to serve others too, his, to serve his people. So I gave him my heart. That night, I gave it to him, and I vowed my life to him. My heart would no longer allow me to run away from him, and the next day, I began to make good on my word. And I've spent every day since then doing. I've had my ups and downs, of course. But there was such a drastic change, such an immediate and drastic change. It literally was like a U-turn. And people around me saw the change. In fact, my mom still runs into people that I grew up with and that haven't seen me in forever. And they say, hey, what's going on with Dave? What's up with Dave? And she says, he's uh, working at a church in Pittsburgh. And their reaction's always the same. You know, jaw dropped to the floor. And that's how it was with Saul. He was headed down this path of destruction. He was destroying, literally destroying others, and at the same time barreling towards his own demise. But God had something different planned for him, and in an instant, he met Saul on this road of destruction and blew his narrow mind wide open. When the light came on for me, I began to see everything differently. Like I said, it doesn't mean that I didn't need course correction since then, and I still will. We all do. We're human beings. But that was one of the biggest times when my life was redirected. And there are times in all of our lives 
when we are going to be given an opportunity to direct our lives toward God or away from God, toward God's purposes or towards our own selfish purposes, towards building others up by loving and serving them or building ourselves up and using other people and taking from them. We will all have these times. What would it look like if Jesus could turn your life around? What if he could pluck you from the road of destruction and place you on the redemption road? Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10, says this. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he could see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say that instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized and afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. So Saul regained his sight, his physical sight, but forever he saw things differently. He was now focused on God's best path for his life and for the kingdom. He joined in God's plan to redeem broken, lost, on the road to destruction type of people. I want to invite the worship team to come back. Now most of the, the rest of this book of Acts, if you go and, and you read it, and I hope that you do, and you read the books that are beyond that, some of the letters that Paul wrote, these will, uh, these will show you how Saul whose name was changed to the Greek equivalent, Paul, how he went and boldly proclaimed this good news of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus that he did not believe in and believed was the wrong focus, how much of a 180 that Saul took in becoming Paul. And many years later, after Paul spread this news of the resurrected Jesus throughout Asia Minor and Greek Peninsula, he returned to Jerusalem And now he was the one who was arrested by the authorities. Ironic, isn't it? God opened Saul's blind eyes and sent him out all around to be a light into the darkness. Saul was in the darkness. He was on that path and a light shone and he was knocked off his high horse and he was changed forever so that he could now go out and be a light in dark places. And it's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit that gives our lifeless hearts true life and redirects our paths from destruction to redemption. See, Saul, he joined in God's plan to redeem broken, lost, on the road to destruction type of people. And for me, 20 years ago, I too joined in God's plan to 
redeemed, broken, lost, on the road to destruction type of people. And this morning I choose again to refocus on the right things and once again commit to joining in God's plan to be an instrument of his love, whatever that might look like in the future, wherever God allows me to go. And I ask you this, will you also join in on God's plan to redeem the brokenness that is in you and around you? You don't have to be an apostle like Paul. You don't have to stand on a stage at a church. Wherever he has placed you, and as that changes throughout your life, you can stay focused on God's best instead of just the good enough. And it begins with recognition. It begins with seeing the truth. It begins with seeing what we've been missing that was right in front of us. Seeing what we've been blind to. No longer missing the narrow gate for the wide one. And then it continues with surrender. Surrendering our control over what it is, whatever it is that God, that's keeping you from God, that's keeping you from God's plan for your life, surrendering our pride, surrendering our arrogance, surrendering our desire to please self and to be in control. And it is maintained with refocus. It maintains with refocus. It maintains with redirection, with rededication, with recommitment. Choosing to see what God wants us to see instead of what we want to see, instead of seeing what everyone else around us see. Because God is there with you. He's always there. Doesn't matter where you are, where you've been. Doesn't matter where the road has led you thus far, even if it was the road to destruction. God is there with you. He is always there. He has already spoken, and He continues to speak. We just have to focus on his voice. We just have to focus on his words, on his ways. I've been here for 15 years serving you, us being a family. And it's messages like this that get to my very heart. To me, it's tragic if there's one person sitting in this room today that's on that wrong path that doesn't recognize it and you don't let go. My heart screams, let go. I have been there. I sat in the seat. I played the game. I let it go in this ear and out the other. Don't run any longer. If it's you this morning, God's been tugging on your heart or if he's just been shaking you. Allow him in. Like I did 20 years ago, like Saul did 2,000 years ago, like people do every single day. Allow him in. Pull that U-turn. Change that focus. Respond to the Holy Spirit's leading. Would you bow your hearts with me this morning? Jesus, I just pray that you would speak to us today that you would forgive us for our spiritual blindness and that you would open our eyes to see the things that we should see. Spirit of the resurrected one, would you fill our hearts and fill our lives today? Redirect us if we need it. 
Correct us if we need it. And help us to be the presence that you want to be in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.